0: got me? All right. Okay, Ephesians. Ephesians is an amazing book. There is so much in the book of Ephesians that we would like to spend a lot of time talking about. But because we're going through this book while Pastor Steve's on his sabbatical, we're dividing it up into sections and we're limited to only speaking a short amount each week on what we'd like to talk about. I know personally myself and Pastor uh, Michael and Pastor Nick, have we've had problems trying to fit everything into what we want to talk about, because there's just so much in this book to discuss. Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel one time spent an entire year just teaching from the book of Ephesians. And I remember about 14 or 15 years ago when I began my walk with the Lord, I thought, wow, that's really kind of extreme and you know, now that I've been walking with the Lord a long time, and as I'm sitting there preparing sermons, it's it's just not extreme at all. There's so much in this book that we could spend time talking about, and I've had I had problems this week deciding what to leave out. And um, there was a whole there's a whole spiritual principle that I wanted to share with you guys today, but unfortunately, it just it would have been way too much. I'm I've told you guys every time I get up here, I apologize in advance if I go long. And I have really yet to do that. I think today I am going to go a little bit long, so just so that you know. Um, And that's why I cut something out. Uh, The good news is, though, is that the Lord's blessed us to open up our homes to people. And we have a home Bible study the first Friday of each month from 630 to 8. And I'm going to be able to share that principle in the home Bible study. And it's something I'm really excited about and looking forward to. The Lord's really blessed us with our home. We've been working so hard. I've been installing flooring and baseboards. We've been preparing our home for um, Spiro Shidi, who is coming from Israel, to visit with us. And it's just a blessing to be able to open up our doors to him. I've been exhausted, working hard, you know, in the, in the heat, and then coming home and trying to do the work as fast as possible. Laura's been coming behind me, painting these baseboards and working really hard too. And it's just, it's really coming together. It really looks nice. And um, I'm actually particularly proud of how the bathrooms have turned out. And the reason I'm proud of the bathrooms is because that's where the vanity is. For those of you visiting, or those of you online, we try and tell one bad joke each week. Kind of helps keep the congregation size manageable. <laughs> Having said that, let's go ahead and pray and we're going to dive into this today. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word today, that you would reveal what you would have us do as believers, Lord, that we would be people who don't just hear the word, but that we would go out into this world and live the gospel in front of people. And again, we lift up Pastor Steve and pray that you would help him to come back refreshed. May he enjoy his time off, and may it be a complete blessing to him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I just want to thank the guys up there. They do so much to help me out. Especially Pastor, uh, Pastor Michael does so much in, as far as getting these slides together. Although I have to say, Michael, when I came up here today... <laughs> to open the computer and get ready. I saw a breathman sitting by the computer. Is that a hint? <laughs> All right, the section of scripture that we're going to be studying today is Ephesians 5, 1 through 20, and it deals with how to live like a Christian. The title of today's message is Imitate God. In the passage we'll be looking at, the Apostle Paul is continuing to expand upon his divinely inspired instructions for godly living from chapter 4. The last section of scripture from chapter 4 tells us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That was the section that Pastor Michael shared about last week. Now Paul then continues into chapter 5, beginning with a therefore. Therefore, since you are forgiven, then do these things, things that we're going to discuss today. Now, back when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, there were no chapter and verse numbers in the text to divide it. Men put those in later so that we could have easy points of reference to navigate through Scripture. The division and thought that they can cause here, though, between 4 and 5, could throw you off if you're, if you're not paying careful attention or... You know, if you're, just, if you're visiting or if it's the first time you ever open the Bible to read Ephesians chapter 5 and you started at verse 1, it would start off with therefore. It could be kind of confusing. But chapters 4 and 5 are all one long continuous line of thought that the Apostle is sharing with us. So I just thought I'd briefly explain that it does open with a therefore, and that way we would understand it as we dive from chapter 4 into chapter 5. So, we're going to start with this verse Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So, we're forgiven by God by faith in Christ, and we are called to imitate God as beloved children because we now are part of God's heavenly family. We're being called to act out our position in Christ as children. We're all adults here, so you really have to think about how children behave to really get the apostles' example. Have you ever seen a child get behind the wheel of a car and pretend to drive? Or maybe a little girl play (laughs) dress-up? She's cute, isn't she? It is said that children learn much more by watching and imitation than by verbal instruction. There can be fun examples of this imitation, such as this, There can also be bad examples of children imitating their parents. The point is is that children will imitate their parents. And yes, I understand that there's definitely a large amount of indoctrination that goes into an example as extreme as this. But children are so impressionable... That they don't need much to push them into a direction that they would already be trying to emulate. Kids want to be like their parents. The old saying, do as I do, or excuse me, do as I say, not as I do, it doesn't work. Children are fast learners and they are imitators and they will do what their parents do. We as Christians need to stop imitating the world and our old father, the devil and instead imitate our Heavenly Father. And we need to do so in such a way that we can lead by example. We're going to touch on that some more later in the teaching. Now sometimes as parents especially, we might struggle with the keeping calm part. But in Christ, we have the perfect example to follow. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The things we see God and our Lord Jesus doing in Scripture are things that we need to be doing. We need to be like little children, fast learners and imitators of our Father. Children see us doing something, and they do it. My great-grandfather had a wooden leg. He was diabetic, and he lost his leg around the knee. And he had a wooden leg. And he used to walk with a limp. He would walk around like this. And I, when I was a toddler would follow along right behind them, right? Imitating him. No filter or tact, (laughs) something I still struggle with to this day. (laughs) And I don't want you to get upset thinking he was like going into the den crying about it. The kid's imitating me, okay? He, He thought it was cute, but the point is, is that as children, we look at what our parents or adults are doing, and we do it. And we need to be the same way only in the things of God. When we see him doing something, we should also be doing it. Because we want to. Because we are beloved children of God. And then, we'll only be following a good example, and there won't be any room for these bad examples to enter our life, things from the world. Jesus came to show us the Father, and we need to walk in a way that we're looking at him and then doing the things that he does. So what things? What does Jesus do? Well, look in the Bible. All the things that Jesus ever did is a good place to start in our walk of imitating God. Helping the poor. Healing and comforting the sick. How about not condemning sinners who are honestly looking for answers? Feeding the hungry Helping our brothers and sisters in Christ, serving others, praying, sharing the gospel, laying down our lives for other people, spending time with God, living a righteous life, forsaking sin, and one more that I added last night as I was going over my notes, forgiving people. There's a lot of action words in this list. Jesus was always being about his father's business. We can't be armchair Christians. We can't continue being so focused on ourselves and our comfort that we ignore what God wants us to be doing in this world. Because there will come a time that we stand before God and we give him an account for our lives. We want to receive rewards and hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want to shed tears and lose rewards because we were selfish and we refused to do what God wanted us to do. Jesus even got angry at the right times and for the right reasons. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. Notice he wasn't whipping the people. It's talking about he's driving the animals out with the whip. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, "'Get these out of here! "'Stop turning my father's house into a market!' So much for Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus had no tolerance for people turning the house of God into a first century Walmart. In Matthew, it says he told them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, the use of the word robbers there is indicative that there were problems with these transactions that were taking place when they sold the animals in the temple court. Remember, now we're talking about imitating God and we're on the subject of anger. Jesus here is filled with righteous anger. Doves and pigeons were sold to the poor. These people were too poor to afford other animals for the temple sacrifice. These were also probably some of the least educated people of their time. So there is the strong possibility, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, what it says in the Bible, I'm just, I'm extrapolating here, so bear with me. There's the strong possibility that these people were being taken advantage of, hence the term robbers. Jesus also didn't like to see people being taken advantage of, it is sin, and especially, think about it, in the temple courtyard. The temple is the place where God would come to meet with man, and people are gonna rip each other off over the price of a sacrifice to God in his house. What audacity. What a picture of how depraved humanity really is. The Bible, it's the most honest book that there is concerning the hearts of men. You can see why Jesus was so angry, but his anger was well-founded and properly directed. If we are going to be angry, if we are going to imitate God, we need to do it for the right reasons and not because we aren't getting our way, which is usually the case. As Pastor Michael said last week, we also need to work it out amongst each other. Don't let the sun go down on our anger. Patch things up between brethren, patch things up between your spouse Don't let your anger take root in your heart in such a way that it turns into bitterness. It will only eat away at you inside. The person that you're angry at might not even know it, and you're walking around with acid in your heart, eating away at you. Maybe you're even grumbling about that person to other people in the congregation and causing division. Work it out. Go to them. Humble yourself Be angry and do not sin. Be angry in a righteous manner because we need to imitate God. Now here's another example of Jesus doing what we need to do. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin and his friend. And when he was killed by King Herod, Jesus just wanted to get away for a while. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So here's humanity, hearing of this, right? They hear Jesus is going away to mourn, his cousins beheading, and this is their reaction. Hey, Jesus is getting away, stop him. I heard he was giving out free food the other day. Look, there he goes, come on, we can still catch him. He hasn't even healed my knee yet, come on. Can you imagine your good friend and your cousin gets their head chopped off and served up on a platter and you go away to mourn to be sad because we have to remember Jesus was and is fully God but he was also fully man and he experienced this deep loss of his cousin and friend. Can you imagine you go away to mourn and you get a huge crowd of people coming after you like ants to a picnic because they want a piece of you. Think about it. Do you think they were going to comfort him? Were they like, oh, man, Jesus' friend got killed. Uh, Marcus, you tell you what, you go and get him some flowers, and Laura, you make him some of that delicious flatbread that Jesus likes. We're going to go and we're going to make him a nice meal, and we're going to comfort him. Let's put our arms around him and have a really good cry. No! They were going because they wanted him to do more stuff for him again. I don't think that compassion would have been high up on my reactions list in this situation. But before I get too hard on those people, how many times are we like that? How many times do we go to the Lord for stuff and not just to be with him? Probably too often, I would guess. But see, Jesus had compassion on those people following him around. They were following him in the hopes of getting another free meal or getting healed, or maybe some of them actually did want to hear him preach. We'll give him credit. We'll give a couple of those people credit. Maybe they wanted to hear what he had to say, but they still wanted something from him. And yet Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. Why? Because Jesus imitates the Father, and He loves like the Father loves. We need to imitate Jesus, and by doing so, we will imitate God. We do this by watching Him and acting it out. By or excuse me, acting it out like His beloved children. We need to live compassionately, and we need to have mercy on people. We need to be there for people when we don't want to be there for people. We need to sacrifice our time and give of our talents and resources for the benefit of other people rather than say, no, I just can't be bothered. A perfect example is just things that need to be done in the church. We can't have one guy doing the bulletins and doing the graphics and doing this, that, and the other while everyone else just kind of comes to church and then goes home. We're a body of Christ and we're knit together. We're supposed to be helping each other and walking this out together. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. Walk in love. Make love your lifestyle. Here we see the Bible telling us to love again. The Bible tells us many times to love Let's look at some of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But love your enemies, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And on and on we could go. Why does the Bible repeat itself so much? The same reason school teachers and Bible preachers repeat themselves a lot. Because it's important. And because we're so thick-headed, it doesn't get through a lot of times. And because when we do let it get through the filter, we tend to forget And because it can take a whole lifetime to start getting some of this stuff right. Because think about how hard it is to surrender. It can be a real challenge to surrender to the Holy Spirit and to God's will for our life. You can be sitting in a sermon, and let's say the sermon is all about love and making love your way of life, and you get convicted by the Holy Spirit because you yelled at your spouse that morning. You can, be all, you can be really penitent then, can't you? You're sitting in your chair and you're like, Lord, I know I'm supposed to be a loving person, and yet I, I acted in rage, I acted in anger, I yelled at my spouse. Please forgive me, Lord. Help me to be a more loving person. Help me to live your word, Lord. Lord, I thank you for what you're gonna do in my life. Amen, right? And then 20 minutes later... You're in the car going, I don't care where we eat, just pick some (laughs) place. Right? No one's ever been there, right? In the silence, you could hear a pin drop. That's how we are, though, isn't it? We're fickle people. Just remember, though, if your kids are in the car, we're talking about children, they may start imitating you. So, be imitators of God, therefore, as beloved children. What I'm trying to say here is that growing up takes time. The learning, the surrender takes time. You know, we really are just children deep down inside. Sure, we've all grown up on the outside and we get to vote and we get to drive and we get to pay bills, yay. But deep down inside, we're all still children and we all carry the hurts and the wrongs done to us and the fears that we've had since childhood. We dress ourselves up nice and hide our insecurities pretty well, for the most part, most of us. But for these reasons and for many other reasons, we should walk in love towards others. We're all broken people. And we have to realize that because a lot of times we forget and it's like, yeah, it's okay for me to be broken, but how dare they be broken? And yet, and we do that. Here's an example of walking in love. How about in marriage? There's an old saying that you date the adult, but you marry the child. You get the pretty package during the dating. It's wrapped up so carefully, it's almost flawless. You unwrap the package after you get married and you find the warm gift of fears and insecurities and selfishness, and you go, who is this person? I didn't marry them. And then they unwrap the same package of you, and they get the same thing. And they say, who is this person? I didn't marry them. Knowing that we are married to these other damaged individuals, it's all the more reason to walk lovingly toward them. To be more forgiving, or how about always forgiving towards them? Now, there are biblical reasons for divorce. That's a whole other teaching. What I'm talking about here is forgiveness in marriage. As someone who performs marriages, when I counsel people, what I tell them is the most important thing you have to do in your marriage if you want it to succeed is be forgiving. Because you are going to hurt that other person, they are going to hurt you, they're going to fail you, they're going to be selfish, they're going to do things that you don't like. You're not going to get your way all the time. And if you are not forgiving, your marriage is guaranteed to fail. With forgiveness and love, there would be far less divorce among God's beloved children. And we're the ones who are supposed to be the examples to the world of what it's like to be followers and imitators of God. Instead, unfortunately, many Christians choose to let pride get in the way of forgiveness. There's a statistic, I don't know if it's true, but it says that about 50% of people in the world get divorced. I've heard that it's true for the church as well. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, it's really sad. I like to think, you know, as I look around people that attend Book of Life, I see people that have been married a long time, and that's the example that we need to share. But instead, we let pride get in the way People say things like, I deserve better than him or him, or they need to treat me better. I can't believe they would do this to me. And so they say, I can do better, and off they go. They walk out and they rewrap that present so they can unload it onto some other poor, unsuspecting victim. (laughs) It's a disposable society. If it doesn't work, just throw it away and get a new model. Instead, why don't we just surrender our pride and accept the fact that we really are children and that we can totally rely on our Heavenly Father to get us through those situations. He's not going to take us around the situations because only by going through them are we going to grow. We're going to grow in love towards our spouse and we're going to grow in our relationship with God. It's a thought, right? Jesus did it. He wasn't married, but he totally surrendered his life to God and walked through every situation with him. Imitate God. So we've been reminded to walk in love. We've talked about anger a little bit. Marriage is only one example. Walk in love, make love your way of life. And I say God help us because we all fail at this and because we can't do it without God and without surrendering our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. The first thing that strikes me about this verse is that these things just naturally go against love. These are opposites of love. What's the opposite of love? A lot of people say hate. I've heard fear. As I was doing this study, it struck me the opposite of love isn't hate. It's selfishness. That's the true opposite of love. These things here are selfish. If you're not walking in love, or excuse me, if you are walking in love, then you won't do these things. If you're being sexually immoral or impure, you are more often than not wronging someone else by causing them to sin along with you. Or you're doing wrong to your spouse by cheating on them and breaking your marriage covenant. And you're definitely doing wrong by God. None of this is love. But what about greed? It almost doesn't seem to fit. When I was doing the study, I was like, yeah, you know, you're reading along and you think sexual impurity, check. You know, sexual immorality, check. But greed, what is, what is? why would greed be mentioned here? So that bugged me, and I looked into it, because when something bugs me like that in Scripture, it's, it's always God trying to get my attention and teach me something. Can you guys think of it? Can you guys figure it out? What do sexual immorality, impurity, and greed have in common? They all speak of unhealthy appetites, out-of-control appetites. God gave us appetites, but they should only be fulfilled in a godly way. He invented sex, and he invented humor. He invented the need to receive affection from loved ones and to love other people. He invented or created within us the desire to work and to be satisfied by our work. He invented chocolate, amen. <laughs> Appetites can and should be healthy, but with an unhealthy appetite you want something and you don't care how you get it. Whether it's a person's body in sexual immorality or more and more of some thing like a greedy person. Now it might be gossip, Money, power, clothing, automobiles, a bigger house, improper attention from other people. We can be greedy about all kinds of things. These out-of-control appetites have no place in the heart of a follower of Christ. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul said in another letter that he wrote to the Philippians. And this is about having a balanced appetite. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't in there. Sorry about that, Michael. I thought you made a slide for that. All right, I'm going to read it. This is what Paul said about having a balanced appetite. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him Who gives me strength? Paul was an imitator of Christ and looking to Jesus as what gave him strength to continue through all the hardships of his missionary journeys. You guys know the list. Paul was beaten with rods, he was stoned, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked, he was hungry, he was cold, he was naked, he was tired. And yet he kept going because he kept focused on Christ. Paul was such a strong follower of Christ. Pay attention now because this is important. That he urged other Christians whom he had led to the Lord to imitate him. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Wow, that's powerful. Can we say that about ourselves? It's a real heart check. Do we imitate God enough to tell other Christians, imitate me, and you will be on the right path? We should. Or are we just playing church? Is this real? Or have we just joined some lame social club with no swimming pool and the occasional potluck? (laughs) Are our ways so in Christ that others can and should imitate us? Not always, right? But it should be our goal. Here's the blessing from God is that even when we fail, He can turn it around and it can become a blessing because when we fail, we can learn to have compassion on other people when they fail. Rather than judge them and talk about them and look down on them, grumble about them, we can have compassion and we can walk in love like Christ did. And that's how we make disciples, disciplined followers of Christ. We lead by example. And that example should not include unhealthy appetites, sexual or otherwise. We need to imitate God. (sighs) Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Sins of the tongue. I sometimes still struggle in these areas. Before I was saved, I was the type of person I could not say a sentence without at least three curse words in it. My parents are here visiting today, and they can affirm that for you if you have any doubts. <laughs> I told lots of filthy jokes. I'm actually ashamed of how I used to speak. Now, I'm still rough around the edges in the area of speaking roughly to people, saying harsh things. And I'll be honest, there's no excuse for it other than I'm, being, I'm still being sanctified. I'm a work in progress. I was in the army... I spent a lot of years hanging out with the wrong crowd, drinking too much, hanging out in bars, and my brain was programmed over those years to be rough. You wuss, you moron, that kind of treatment of people. And those were the nice words. I, and I'm sure one or two other believers out there, we need to be transformed through the renewing of our minds because these manners of speech are not who we are in Christ anymore. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. I don't know how many times over the years I've read that verse and I have just felt hopeless. Because there doesn't seem to be any answer in it. It's like it just says, no one can tame the tongue. So where is our hope? Praise God, when I was coming up with this sermon over the last couple weeks, he showed me what the answer is. How do we change it? It says... No human being can tame the tongue, but God can tame the tongue. Through surrender, childlike faith imitating God, our tongues can be changed. I know after I got saved, I still talk like that sometimes, and I was just like, this isn't right. This this is wrong. It wasn't something that I chose to do. It was something that happened on the inside of me. Jesus surrendered fully to the Father and he never had a problem with his tongue, with his manner of speech. So that's what we need to do. We need to surrender to God and allow him to change it. Now there are practical steps that we can take. There are things that we can do and I would say do this and pray about doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't try and do it in your own flesh or you will fail and then you'll beat yourself up over it. But try speaking only life and edification, things that build up the people you're talking to and make a point of it. I've had to make it a point, even within the last year, just to change the way I talk to the guys at work and say only encouraging things to them rather than be the rough guy I'm used to be in and tear them down verbally, because that's how guys are. But you know what? I see it's making a difference. When I say things that only build up people, it, it, their countenance brightens. And we can do that. We can choose to do that because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Choose to say good things to people. And I'll also admit, I really need to do this at home. I'll admit that. The question is, will you? Because I know we all struggle with this. Also, choose not to join in with the dirty jokes and the gossip and the verbal tearing down. You'll be amazed at what God can do with your heart when it is surrendered to him. You might even injure yourself one day and only yell, ouch! (laughs) I know it sounds funny, but when I was a young Christian, that's when I realized that some real transformation had been taking place in my heart. I don't know what I was doing, driving a nail or something, and I hit my hand and I said, ouch! (laughs) That's odd. No, that's not odd. That's God. He was working in my heart. And as we surrender to him, those changes are naturally going to take place. We don't have to think about the way we speak. We won't have to think about not gossiping. As we surrender to him, it will just naturally be an, out, an outflow of him living through us. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So how about foolish talk? Let's talk about that for a second. Talk that leads us nowhere or doesn't edify the listener. Now, I don't mean jokes and humor, because that stuff is a gift from God. Laughter, you know, he invented it. But how about gossip? I know it goes on. How about arguing when it's just not even worth it, and it's not going to get you anywhere, but you still do it because you want to win. How about boasting? When everything comes from God anyway, we have nothing to brag about. Or any speech that belittles the speaker and lowers their standing in the eyes of others, especially the world who is watching us. You say you're a Christian, yet you said this the other day. And your standing is lowered. We want to represent Jesus well to the world. That way they can come to know him themselves and be saved. Here's another example of arguing. Arguing among Christians in front of unbelievers. When our petty differences could either be settled in-house, that is in private, or even better still, just lay it down. Lay it down in grace. We don't need to argue about some of the stuff that we argue about. And the world looks at us and thinks we're fools. Because that is foolish behavior. Now if it's a core doctrinal issue that affects someone's eternal salvation, then yes, fight for the faith. But how foolish is it to show our petty differences to the world when we are so united by the grace that we have in Christ? We have a peace in our hearts and a unity amongst us that the world only dreams of. We, we've talked about it before. I can meet someone and they, can't, they won't tell me and I'll know that they're a Christian because it's the Holy Spirit working through us. It's a bond that God has created. If we focus on giving thanks and being thankful for people, like the verse says, then others are going to say that They're going to see the difference that's in us that we already have inside. We just need to let it out rather than show the church as a divided mess, excuse me, which it too often is in the eyes of the world. Rivers of living water should be gushing out of our heart and into this society. We should be refreshing to other people. People... That is, other Christians and unbelievers need to see thankfulness expressed in the lives of believers. Enough with the grumbling and the backstabbing and complaining and gossiping and cursing and whatever else isn't fitting. And I know it happens. I hear it. Let's find something good to say or maybe not say anything at all. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Moving on, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. So if you're reading that, you know, you're like, wow, what's this talking about? At first glance, it almost seems to be saying that a Christian who has these problems in these areas can be in danger of losing their salvation. But actually what's happening is Paul is setting up a comparison and a contrast here that he continues into verses 6 and 7. In this verse, he's just stating the fact that a person who lives this lifestyle with no conviction by the Holy Spirit, no desire to do better, no desire to repent and turn to God for forgiveness, what he's describing here are unbelievers. And they have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. They're not going to be in heaven, to put it plainly. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient Therefore, do not be partakers with them. And that's the real division there between the unbelievers and he's saying, don't partake. As born-again believers in Christ, we're not destined for God's wrath. We're God's children and no one can pluck us out of his hand. We're no longer grouped in with those disobedient people and that's why we're told not to be partakers with them. Not even we in our own stupidity or rebelliousness can lose the gift of eternal security that God freely gives us. That is, if you are truly born again. That's the real test. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you completely trusted him for forgiveness? There are false Christians who are going to be revealed in the last days and they're going to be cast into hell. It's not our job to root them out in the here and now unless they're teaching and they're false teachers, and we're not supposed to listen to false teachers. But right now, we need to make sure that we've got our relationship with God where it needs to be. So if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, I beg you, be reconciled to God. Jesus made it possible for you to be forgiven, and all you have to do is believe and place your trust in him. You can talk to anyone here on staff or in the congregation about what it means to be saved, and we can help you start your new life in Christ. And if you're watching online, I would would just implore you to pray and ask the Lord to guide you to a Bible-believing and teaching church in your area so that you can start a new life in Christ. But back to the verse, what is Paul talking about here? Well, the empty words deceptions that were creeping into the early church that it was okay to partake in sin and immorality and drinking parties and the like because hey we're going to heaven and there's no more need to worry about facing punishment from God so let's party woo! and they were doing that there were things that were going on like that this is a distortion of the freedom that we have in Christ the real freedom not to sin Peter wrote about it like this in 1 Peter starting in chapter 4 They are surprised that you do not join in with them in their recklessness. Excuse me, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So what Paul was telling the Ephesians is: Look, no people who live their lives this way are getting into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, God's wrath will come upon them. So since you are going to heaven and you are followers of Christ and you are beloved children of God, do not be deceived when they tell you it's okay to join in with them and do not be partakers with those that are lost. That applies to us now in this modern world that we're living in. The world's always telling us to join in. Watch TV. It's telling you to join in. But don't follow the world. Don't sleep in the enemy's camp. Instead, imitate God. Because as a true believer, if you do choose this path, if you stumble into sin, you won't be lost, but you will be miserable. You also run the risk of tarnishing your testimony. You will look bad to those in the world who are watching you when you say you're a Christian, and you're going to drag the name of Christ through the mud in front of these people. Oh, look, Ted says he's a Christian, and he's out there doing such and such. It makes Christ look bad. You're also going to be disciplined by God back onto the correct path. His will is that you not continue in sin. He is the good shepherd and he will go after the stray sheep and bring you back. But God's discipline is no fun. There's basically two ways to learn to do the will of God. Do what the Bible says and be blessed. And fail at doing what the Bible says and be disciplined by our Heavenly Father. We're still stuck in these fallen bodies, so we will experience both methods of learning. And unfortunately, probably more of the falling than the other method, at least in the beginning years of our walk with the Lord. We're going to stumble and have to get back up and keep going. Now, one reason learning from our failures can be a good thing is so that we can have compassion on other Christians who have stumbled. What was meant for evil, God means for good. Or he can turn it to be used for good. If you learn from your failure and let God use you for the benefit of other people in the body of Christ. Do you see a brother or sister committing some sin that you've struggled with? Lovingly return them to the right path because we're all in this together. We all go through the same types of struggles. We all wrestle against temptation. We all struggle against evil desires. Let the Lord's discipline lead you onto a lifelong path of righteousness. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and, you have, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We need to walk carefully, church. We need to not be partakers with sin and sinners. We need to imitate God, or we are going to suffer discipline. Now we're going to take the next few verses in big chunks and we're going to start wrapping things up here. Continuing in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The fruit of light is what I want to talk about here. When the light of Christ came into our lives, it started producing fruit. Good things started coming out of our lives. We became a light because we were illuminated by the light of Christ, Jesus says that we are salt and light to the world, to those around us. Light is mentioned many times in the Bible in a spiritual sense. Light is the very first thing God talks about in the Bible. And I want to quickly discuss the fruit of light. And I want to show you something that's beautiful in the word of God. I want to show you your conversion experience. And I want to show you the gospel in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Before Christ, our lives were formless, empty, and dark. Yet, the Spirit of God was hovering near, providing conviction, showing us right and wrong through our conscience, and trying to point us towards God. The world was also in darkness before Christ came. The Bible says that light came into the world, but men rejected the light because their deeds were evil. And that light is Christ. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So God takes the initiative and he allows light to shine into our lives. He opens our eyes to the truth. And we become illuminated. We become light and God separates us from the darkness. He calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the first day of our new life in Christ. But God also chose the perfect time in history to send the light of the world into the world, to lay down his sacrifice for men, and God saw that it was a good thing. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So here we see dry land appearing from the water. Now the Bible says that Lord fashioned man out of clay and breathed life into him. This earth appearing out of the water here, this is a picture of us coming up out of the waters of baptism, dead to sin and alive in newness of Christ. It's also a picture of the resurrection of our Lord, and we're going to see that in the upcoming verses. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Notice that this rising up to newness of life and beginning to produce fruit happened on the third day of creation. Another significant rising up to newness of life took place on the third day, the resurrection of our Savior, who is also the first fruits of the resurrection himself. This was written at least 1,000 years before Christ went to the cross. Conservative estimates, Moses wrote the book of Genesis around 1400 B.C. And yes, I say B.C., once the land and we ourselves came out of the waters that symbolize regeneration and baptism, dying to the old self and being reborn, notice it's God's will that good things be produced in our lives as a result, as a result of the light. Fruit is produced. God has good works set aside for us as Christians that we're supposed to carry out after this regeneration. We're supposed to fulfill his will for our lives. And notice that the fruit has seed in it. Pay attention to this. The fruit has seed in it both literally and figuratively. God does everything for a reason. He reveals himself in the creation. Fruit has seeds in it because, well, that's how it reproduces. But God chose for it to be that way so that he could show himself and the spiritual principle of seeds in his creation. This seed in the fruit speaks of the potential we have in the fruit of our good works to create more fruit. We should be sowing seeds of the gospel, doing good works. Our goal is to create disciples and to even just plant seeds that someone else might come along and water and that God can choose to grow up into a new Christian. Fruit. There should be fruit being produced in our lives after we are born again to newness of life in Christ. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Is your fruit seed bearing? When you die, does the fruit of your life that's left lying on the ground, all the works that you have done for God, does it have the potential to grow long after you're gone? or are you wasting your time will you have to face god in shame that you did not fulfill his goals for your life it's serious business being a christian there are definite things that god wants us to do while we're here are there people that didn't hear about jesus because of your laziness or fear or because you just didn't care enough about them We want to imitate God. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays a prayer to the Father known as the high priestly prayer. It's an eye-opening look into what Jesus wants for us as his followers and the church in general. Jesus prays this prayer right before he gets arrested, beaten, mocked, whipped, and crucified for us. Look at what he says here in verse 4, talking to the Father. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. That summarizes this entire teaching in a nutshell. Do you want to imitate God? Imitate Jesus and accomplish all the works God has given you to do on the earth. Complete your good works of commission, that is the things that you're gonna do for God, and church, complete your good works of omission, the things that you don't do because you love God and because you are his beloved children. Let the fruit of light shine and plant seeds in this dark world. Live in such a way, church, that you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the apostle closes this section with these words. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Be careful, church. Let's live it for real. Let's plant seeds. Let the fruit of light shine in our lives that people can see what Christ is really all about, that they can be saved because that's why we're here. The verses tell us to sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And that's what we're going to do here in a minute. But my prayer is just that what was shared with you today would take root in your heart and grow and produce fruit. Father, we thank you for this time, for the message that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that we would be doers and not hearers of the word only. Help us, Lord, to, if we are angry, be angry in a righteous way. Help us to lay down our lives for others, Lord. Help us to allow the fruit of light to shine through our lives. Help us to be imitators of God as beloved children, Father. Help us to see what you're doing and do it. Help us to not be lazy or fearful, but help us to live the life of Christ to the world around us. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.